every so often throughout the course of history, patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Brian Hyde. Welcome to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde. This is the America Out Loud Network. And I can only surmise that you are listening because at some level, it all matters. The truth matters to you enough so that you are willing to dig and do a little bit of research on your own. I hope that's the case. I'm going to make it as easy as possible. I I don't have all the answers. I don't claim that you have to believe everything that I talk about. But I've got some great resources and I want to share those with you and hopefully point you towards information that will be empowering and enlightening and uh, who knows maybe maybe even inspiring to the level that you need to be inspired to stand for what is true to stand for what is right and to stand for your freedoms and your birthright as a free individual it's hard to do it's not getting easier maybe you've noticed censorship and you know the the cancel culture are are really on a roll right now Probably the most visible thing that we're seeing at this moment is uh, the the uh, attempts to go after Joe Rogan. And, and you know, I'm not going to hold Joe Rogan up as, you know, Joe is the epitome of everything that everyone should be or believe. But it's pretty hard to argue with the guy's success. How did this, uh, you know, unassuming comedian, television host, MMA commentator, and now podcaster become what I think is verified as the the single most listened to podcaster in the world today. You know, is it because he has all the answers? Is it because he, you know, boldly tells you this is the way it is? You know, he doesn't have the bombast of a Rush Limbaugh. And I'm, I'm not knocking Rush. I'm just saying, you know, Joe's approach and his popularity is something that I, I believe even the great one, Mr. Limbaugh himself, would have looked at and said, damn, that's impressive. That's that's a guy who is going places. But the secret to his success, Rogan's success, isn't because he claims to have all the answers or because he speaks from such a position of authority. It's something that uh, it's it's something so down to earth that most people might be tempted to overlook it, or at least they would discount it and not really understand. How is it that a guy who just sits down and wants to have? meaningful conversation, meaning back and forth without any expectation that at the end of this conversation, one of us is going to be a winner and the other one's going to be lying there curled up in a puddle of peace, sucking on their thumb and crying for their mommy. Because unfortunately, that seems to be the attitude a lot of people take today in some of the the cable programs and stuff and some of the different uh, platforms out there. Yeah, they thrive on conflict. 
Rogan is just more about let's talk about it. Let's have a let's have a conversation and see where it goes. Now the fact he's you know smoking weed while he's talking with his his uh, guests, you know that uh, that maybe that's why he's so mellow and so willing to to hear other points of view. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, and this is prior to all the controversy which has thrust him into the spotlight, he was enjoying about 11 million listens on average per episode. Per episode. And I mean, this guy isn't doing little short 20-minute long episodes that are easily digestible and, you know, pre-chewed and cut up for you and served, you know, on a paper plate. He's talking three hours, four hours sometimes. But he talks to interesting people, and he talks to people from differing points of view. It's not a, it's not an echo chamber. And I know, what a thing. Imagine that. People actually flock to it, and they enjoy it. And the funny thing about it is, is as Rogan has gained in popularity, primarily because of the controversy, and just as a quick aside, the controversy right now is, well, Joe Rogan said the N-word. You know, and, and I don't I don't mean to to minimize and say that that's a, that's a word that everybody should say. But can, can we at least be honest enough to admit we have all said that word. We have all laughed at jokes that included that word. We have laughed at inappropriate things and we have said inappropriate things. And there is not a person within the sound of my voice who has not done so. That's part of the human condition. Now, that doesn't mean, therefore, it's, you know, fine and everybody should be saying it all the time. But to sit there and to pretend that, well, because we dug up these clips that show, you know, Joe Rogan, uh, not only is he, you know, he's, his mouth is getting him in trouble with Spotify because, uh, you know, Spotify has to contend with his misinformation on COVID and the millions of lives at stake. And now it looks like he's a racist. I'm sorry, but there is a very concerted and what appears to be very professional effort to bring him down and to cancel him. And it has nothing to do with the concept of, oh, he's racist and that's why it has to be done. He's not. In fact, most people who are accused of racism are not racist, in fact. The reason Joe Rogan is being targeted and is being you know, selected for destruction and deplatforming, and, and there's a lot of pressure being brought on Spotify right now. You signed a $100 million contract with him, but you need to toss this guy. And the reason is because he is not beholden. He's not owned by any of the the particular power centers. They can't control him. They can't steer the conversation in a direction that always shows, you know, the powers that be in a favorable light. And when people are exposed to another viewpoint that makes sense or they say, wait a minute, why wasn't I told this before? They start to doubt those who are in power. Which to me seems like a very good thing, but you know it's it's got to suck right now to be Joe Rogan. It, it must, in spite of the fact that he has immense success. I, I feel bad, and I know there are people who are criticizing him. Joe, Joe, why did you issue the apology? Why did you why did you go ahead and allow Spotify to start putting warnings on your uh, your your program? And I assume he's probably just you know trying to trying to be nice, or at least you know be. Be an, an amenable person. But as you, as you can probably surmise with cancel culture, you cannot apologize. You cannot capitulate. You know, the best thing to do is to ignore them. And maybe he's in a position where that's just not an option. 
but any form of apology, any form of taking a knee to show them, look, hey, I'm I'm with you or I hear you, I feel your pain, is just, it's blood in the water to sharks. And I don't know. I, I don't know if Joe can be completely deplatformed. If he were to go somewhere else, I assume tens of millions of listeners are going to follow him. But it's so unnecessary. And it's it's and and there's a great tweet thread out there that uh, that seems to show there's there's a Washington D.C. based um, politics and media manipulation company that's responsible for the hit that's going out after this. It's time. There are three waves of of uh, new releases or new new information designed to just compound and build the problem and build the awareness. And they brag about it. This is what we do. We're good at it. I guess the question for you and me is, are we the kind of people who can see through that kind of just blatant manipulation and not get caught up and jumping on the bandwagon and, you know, you know, let's let's condemn Joe because of this. Brandon Smith, writing for altmarket.us, says leftists use censorship because they don't have the guts to engage in fair debate. I want to share some of his thoughts with you. He asks, why is censorship the go to tactic for leftists? Well, if you ask them, they won't deny their love affair with the memory hole. In fact, most leftists will vehemently defend censorship as absolutely moral and for the greater good. So their position is basically this. We live in a society and some thoughts, words, and ideas are dangerous and destructive to that society. Therefore, those words and ideas must be eliminated from open discussion so they can protect society from itself. But here's the question. Who gets to decide which ideas are dangerous and and destructive? Brandon Smith says it's rather convenient that the political left has anointed themselves the pure, objective arbiters of our culture. Purity within leftist groups is measured by expressions of empathy, virtue signaling. They are the thought police because somehow they believe they are the most empathetic. Now, just as an aside, you know what they really are is they're like... Uh, members of the uh, the little uh, Red Brigade, or what was it called? The Red Guard that uh, Mao used to send out to put people into struggle sessions. What you see playing out with Joe Rogan right now is a very public struggle session that he unwittingly accepted the invitation to attend. It's communist tactics, and apparently it, it seems to be working in, in, some, in some ways. Now, of course, true empathy is measured, or rather is impossible to measure in another human being. I mean, you could you could be dealing with someone who's a narcissist, you could be dealing with someone who's a psychopath, and is just very good at pretending they care and have a conscience. Brandon Smith says they might say all the right things, they might have all the right opinions in public, but in their private lives, they're malicious, they take pleasure in causing pain in others. Humans are utterly fallible, he says, which is why all systems of freedom seek to decentralize power through checks and balances and avoid mass censorship. All systems that value freedom and peace seek to eliminate the existence of thought police. Leftists and globalists have sought to circumvent checks and balances as well as free speech protections through a number of tactics. And in much of the Western world, they pay lip service to free speech rights when it's convenient for them. But most European nations and countries like Australia have no legitimate constitutional measures that restrict government from easily initiating speech suppression laws whenever they want. The draconian measures put in place over COVID, I think, have proved this beyond a doubt. 
Now, Brandon Smith says this is what makes the U.S. so unique as a culture, and it's the reason why leftists have pursued other methods to silence dissent. In America, the left has partnered with the corporate world and is attempting to use business rights as a means to attack and diminish conservative voices. That is to say, they think that if they can harass and pressure a business to deplatform their opposition, then this is a technically legal tactic because a business has a right to associate or not associate with whoever they choose. Now, if the power of big government can't be used to muzzle their opponents, then the power of corporations or big tech can be just as effective. Now, listen to this. He points out, of course, most big tech corporations are not private businesses. They rely heavily on government subsidies and tax incentives in order to survive. If Google had to pay for the massive amount of bandwidth that it's used in the past decade, they would have gone out of business a long time ago. But with federal government incentives, Google is given an immense advantage over its its competition. And in terms of state subsidies, companies like Google, Amazon, Apple, and Facebook rake in billions. Now, that's your tax dollars going into the pockets of the same corporations that claim they have the right to censor you for your political views. Now, if they want to censor the public, well, then they should take away all the subsidies and the tax dollars. It's that simple. We can let those companies implode without using our money to support them. Now, we've seen big tech and social media companies silence tens of thousands of conservatives over the past few years. And he says the whole time these companies and the media have denied that they specifically target people on the political right, which these days means anyone to the right of full-bore communism and globalism. This gaslighting has been debunked over and over again. Brandon Smith says it's undeniable that conservatives are far more likely to be blocked or banned from social media than people who express leftist views. Once confronted with the data that proves big tech is biased in favor of the left, well, they switch gears to the old circular argument. Well, conservatives are banned more from social media because they are the people always posting dangerous and destructive ideas. And we're right back where we started. So he says, let's establish some basic facts before moving forward in order to avoid any misunderstandings about the left. Fact one. Leftists are rabidly pro-censorship. This is not up for debate. As the leftist New York Times argued in 2019, free speech is killing us, specifically in reference to freedom or to a conservative speech, rather. They say conservatives will do the same thing, and this is simply not true. He says, we're not living in the America of the 1960s where religious suppression of language was prominent. We are living in the America of the 2020s where leftists have insinuated their own bizarre cult of Puritanism into U.S. life and are seeking viciously to silence anyone that disagrees with them. Fact two. Leftist censorship almost always aligns with policies and desires of establishment elites. It's a mistake to assume that corporations are being bullied by the left. On the contrary, corporate elites and globalist foundations are the people influencing leftist activists and molding social justice movements to serve establishment interests. Look into the background of any SJW movement and you will find hundreds of millions of dollars in funding from the Ford Foundation, Open Society Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, and so on. Leftists take their marching orders from the corporate elites. Why are leftists so aggressively pro-vax mandate, for instance? It's because the establishment media told them they must be. 
When Trump was in office and the media was anti-vax, leftists were mostly anti-vax. When Biden entered the White House, the media became militantly pro-vax, and so did the majority of leftists. They have no individual autonomy and no original thoughts. Brandon Smith says they're a hive mind just waiting around for the establishment to tell them what to think. Fact 3. Leftists believe the ends justify the means, no matter the consequence. And they view contrary facts and evidence with disdain. You will almost never see a leftist argue on the basis of merit, logic, or results. They will always argue based on emotional justification, religious indignation, and the projection that anyone that that disagrees with them must be a terrible or evil person that has malicious intent. This is why their go-to attacks are consistently personal. They use accusations of bigotry, racism, sexism, etc. in order to avoid discussions on facts and evidence. Because if facts and evidence are being presented by a literal Nazi, well then all of those facts become null and void and the person can be ignored. By the way, they're using that tactic right now against Joe Rogan. Fact number four, leftists believe the mob is the law and that all other laws and principles must be subservient to the dictates of the majority. Leftists are obsessed with majority rule and obsessed with manufacturing consent by manufacturing a false consensus. In other words, leftists believe that if they can trick or coerce 51% of the population to think the way they do, then they've won, that all their actions are sacrosanct by virtue of the majority. They actually believe that the other 49% of the population must submit to their dictates because the majority is God. In truth, the mob is almost always wrong, and the majority has a tendency to be the lowest common denominator and the most ignorant within a society. Now, if they can't obtain that precious 51% of the population, then they'll try to pretend that as if they are the majority anyway. They'll use coordinated mob attacks on their opponents to make it appear as if millions of people are against them when the mob is actually only in the hundreds or thousands. Exposure of their true numbers is like kryptonite to leftists, and they would rather disband than admit being in a tiny minority. And they'll respond by claiming the group never existed, or it's a figment of conservative paranoia, or just an idea like Antifa. Fact number five. If leftists could rule at the barrel of a gun, they would. Leftists are absolutely in favor of imprisoning political opponents and anyone that speaks against them. And many of them openly applaud the idea of murdering conservatives because of their ideas. Just look at how they defended the Waukesha mass killing by a BLM activist as karma for the acquittal of Kyle Rittenhouse. There is no such thing as a peaceful endgame for the political left. Their violent, the violent direction of their ideology is obvious. But what is all the subversion and chicanery meant to accomplish? Why not confront their opponents directly instead of using subterfuge? Well, the answer is because they're afraid. They are terrified of legitimate debate on fair ground based on reality because of instead of a rather emotional fantasy. And they'll do anything to avoid direct confrontation because they know they will lose. Now, their common tactics include subversion, bait and switch, ambushes, and always choosing the ground that a confrontation takes place so they can control the debate and shut down their opponents whenever they start losing. Now, Brandon Smith says, this does not mean that I think that every website and platform out there is supposed to exist with no rules and no restrictions. He says, that's impossible by the simple fact that trolls and saboteurs exist. But leftists don't engage in case-by-case censorship. 
They rely on mass censorship and enormous corporate partners to strong-arm people. They aren't interested in an honest disagreement with a respectful platform user. They are interested in silencing everyone that disagrees regardless. And he says, I can't help but once again use the example of the leftist jihad against Joe Rogan to illustrate my point. The left hates Rogan because he allows both political sides to have a voice on his show. And his show is bigger than anything the leftists and the mainstream media can hope to achieve. Leftists believe that if they cannot control something, then they must destroy it. An open platform that treats conservatives and their views fairly cannot be allowed to exist, so Rogan becomes a top target of the political left. Rogan is targeted over his position on the COVID pandemic and vaccine mandates, but these are merely vehicles the leftists think they can use to rationalize the mass censorship they wanted long before the pandemic was a thing. They believe that the argument that millions of lives are at risk supplants all other debate. That is to say, the more people that die from COVID, the happier they are, because those bodies can be used as fuel to push their ideological cult forward to greater power. Now, the interesting thing about COVID, however, is that it turns out to be a not very effective vehicle for the leftists in terms of using bodies to buy control. As we saw when Joe Rogan confronted CNN's top medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, on his show, the political left is easy to destroy when it comes to debate on the response to COVID. And it's a prime example on why leftists usually avoid debate on fair ground. When Rogan contracted COVID, the leftists were practically dancing in the streets looking forward to his imminent death. Brandon Smith says these people are so stupid they don't seem to realize that on average, over 99.7% of all people that contract COVID will easily survive it. In fact, he says, I've now had the virus twice, about two years apart, and survived both times without any treatment and without vaccination. Now, he says Rogan fared even better than I did, beating back COVID in just a few days, most likely because he had access to ivermectin. The leftists in the media went into a rage after Rogan's easy recovery. And instead of admitting defeat and admitting the vaccines are not necessary when dealing with COVID, they attacked Rogan's method of treatment, accusing him of spreading medical misinformation and promoting horse paste, ivermectin. Now, to clarify, Rogan is living proof that easy treatment of COVID is possible. And that made the left angry enough to spread lies about him and his treatment. During his debate with Sanjay Gupta, Rogan annihilated CNN's assertions on ivermectin and treatment for COVID in general. Now remember, Gupta is CNN's top medical correspondent. Rogan's not a doctor at all. And yet he wiped the floor with Gupta because leftists have no leg to stand on when it comes to COVID. When the debate ground is fair and the people actually have to defend their claims based on facts and evidence, they lose Every time they can't beat Rogan on the facts, so they seek to beat him through censorship. Now, multiple studies have now been released which prove ivermectin is a safe and effective treatment for COVID, greatly reducing the number of hospitalizations and deaths. But because leftists and the establishment only want vaccinations for some reason, millions of lives have been lost that could have been saved. And what this shows is that leftists do not actually care about saving lives. They only care that people submit to their agenda. The COVID vaccines are ineffective and and unnecessary, but they represent public fealty to leftist authority, and that is all that matters. 
This is the reality leftists and media don't want to talk about. You know, things like the vaxxed people are just as likely to transmit the virus to others. Vaxxed people are just as likely to contract COVID as the unvaxxed. Vaxxed people still end up in ICU and die from COVID. And some state numbers indicate that vaxxed people are more likely to die from COVID. So to summarize, the vaccines are pointless. The mandates are criminal. Leftists cannot defend either one on either scientific or moral grounds, so their only option at this point is to silence anyone who has the guts to talk about the truth. Brandon Smith says they are weaklings with no reason in their heads, and these are the types of people that always turn to mass censorship as a tool to legitimize their ideology. And the reason they're going after Joe Rogan so vehemently right now it's not so much that he was the one out there debunking all their claims, but he was allowing other viewpoints to come forward, which do debunk those claims. I'm Brian Hyde. This is the Disciples of Liberty on the America Out Loud Network. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little-known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America Out Loud. We are the voice of a nation, the American nation that is. This is Malcolm Out Loud. I invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com, where the fight for liberty and justice continues. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde. This is the America Out Loud Network. And if you are one of those souls who is just working hard to try to figure out what's going on so that you can stand for what is true, stand for what is good and what is right, stand for your freedom, I applaud you for, for undergoing the heavy lifting. Heavens knows it's not easy. And, and, and it's tough in a time where, where truth is actually viewed as a very subversive thing. People who tell the truth, well, now, I don't know about that. That sounds dangerous, and it sounds like something we ought to nip in the bud if we're going to protect everybody. And, and all this has done to me is just kind of reinforce something I suspected for a lot of years. I mean, I don't want to sound too naive, but, uh, gosh, going back even 20 years or so, I still had some degree of faith that there were people in government who weren't lying to me or otherwise twisting the truth in order to achieve some nebulous end of their own. But I don't feel that way today. 
I, in fact, if I can just be bold, I'll just say politicians and their functionaries, either in government or in media, cannot be trusted to tell the truth. And it seems like the, the lies that are being told and the gaslighting that's going on is getting worse by the day. And I get it if that sounds a little fringy, it's like something a fringe extremist would say. But uh, let me give you an example of, of what it's like to be lied to. And, and in fact, I have a great example here of what it's like when someone actually calls some government functionary out on their lies. And it's very uncomfortable for the government, but boy, it's, it's satisfying for you know people like you and me who value truth and don't like being lied to, even if it's for our own good, according to some bureaucrat. So let's take, for example, the U.S. government's claim about Russia gearing up for a false flag operation in Ukraine. Daniel McAdams from the Ron Paul Institute actually has an article on this. It's titled Biden's Insane Russia False Flag Conspiracy Debunked. This is one of the better things I've read in in a while. He says, it's so rare to see an actual journalist rather than a regime stenographer in the U.S. mainstream media that there really needs to be a federal endangered species protection designation. Now, in this case, that would be for AP's Matt Lee, their diplomatic affairs correspondent who's been around the block many times and whose reputation is that he takes no crap from flax regardless of party. Imagine that. So in a, in a State Department brief last week, spokesman Ned Price was given the unenviable task of dressing up the administration's latest offering of bovine excrement and selling it as a gourmet dip. Now, at issue was a leaked story in the Washington Post uh, that uh, Russia is planning to planning an elaborate video fabrication of a Ukrainian attack on eastern Ukraine to serve as a false flag to justify a Russian incursion into Ukraine. Now, this was after a month or so of the U.S. administration insisting that a Russian invasion of Ukraine was imminent. And it was a claim dramatically refuted by none other than the one prominent leader who, on paper, would benefit most from a narrative like this. That being the Ukrainian president himself. <clears throat> he actually told Biden on a phone call, go take your meds and stop fear-mongering about a Russian invasion of Ukraine. So a new threat had to be cooked up in the bowels of Foggy Bottom and Langley. Enter Ned Price from the U.S. State Department, who had the thankless task of selling this hollow narrative that the U.S. intelligence had uncovered a fantastical plot by the Russians to bring in crisis actors and fake bodies to sell a false narrative to justify their no longer imminent invasion of Ukraine. And the whole thing is reminiscent of the Obama administration's absurd suggestion that the attack on the U.S. CIA installation in Benghazi, Libya, was motivated by a laughable anti-Muslim video rather than a U.S. arms deal gone wrong, as Senator Paul uncovered. Price's pathetic talking point was this, that we are declassifying intelligence information that Russia is about to release a fake video of a Ukrainian attack on Donbass as a false flag to open the door to Russian involvement. So this is a quick summary of what followed. AP's Matt Lee replies with a question any normal journalist would ask before our current era. Okay, what evidence do you have that this is indeed the case? To which uh, Ned replies, well, that's it. My declassified claim that Russia is about to do it. Now, Matt Lee, being a seasoned reporter, says, well, but that's not declassified information. That's just you claiming it. Surely you understand the difference. I mean, crisis actors, fake dead bodies. Come on, that's Alex Jones territory. To which Ned Lee said, you are a Russian propagandist. 
I don't know. That's almost predictable. That's where they would run. Now, Daniel McAdams says, look, this is the Reader's Digest version, but essentially this is what took place in the extraordinary State Department briefing. The government's position is if you ask for any evidence of a U.S. government claim, you are a Putin agent. I want you to hear this for yourself uh, from, from the actual exchange between Matt Lee and Ned Price. This is what a real reporter would do. This is what a real reporter would ask. Check this out. So you said actions such as these suggest otherwise, suggest meaning that they suggest they're not interested in talks and they're going to go ahead with some kind of a... What action are you talking about? One, the actions I've just pointed to. Uh, the what fact, action? What? The, the fact that Russia continues to engage uh, in disinformation well, uh, campaigns. You know, you made an allegation that they might do that. Have they actually done it? Uh, what we know, Matt, is what we what I have just said that they have engaged in this activity, well, uh, in this planning well, activity. But, but let me let me because because obviously this is not this is not the first time we've made uh, these reports public. You'll remember that just a few well, weeks I, ago. I'm sorry, you, made, made, made what report public? If you let me finish, I will okay. tell you what report we made okay. public. Uh, we told you a few weeks ago that we have information indicating Russia also has already prepositioned a group of operatives to conduct a false flag operation in eastern Ukraine. So that, Matt, to your question, is an action that Russia has already well, taken. It's an action that you say that they have taken, but you have shown no evidence to, 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 to confirm that. And I'm going to get to the next question here, which is, what is the evidence that they I mean, this is like crisis actors, really? This is like Alex Jones territory you're getting into now. Um, what evidence do you have to support the idea that there is some propaganda film in the, in, in the making? Matt, this is derived uh, from information known to the U.S. government, intelligence information that we have declassified. I think you well, know. Okay, well, where, where is it? Where, where is this information? It is intelligence information that we have declassified. Well, where is it? Where is the declassified information? I just delivered it. No, you made a series of allegations and statements. Would you, would you like us to print out the topper? Because you will see a transcript of this briefing that you can print out for but yourself. That's not evidence, Ned. That's you saying it. That's not evidence. I'm sorry. <laughs> what would you like, Matt? I, I would like to see some proof that you that 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 that, that you can show that that. Matt, you have that, been that, that shows you, that 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 you, shows that the Russians are doing this. Ned, I've been doing this for. A I long know that time, was my point. As, you as, you as have you, know. you you have been doing this for quite a while. You know I that have. when we declassify intelligence That's information, right. and I we do so in, in a means. In we do and so. I, and, we do so with an eye to protecting that, that sources and methods. Is not going to fall. I, I remember a lot of things. So where, where where is the declassified information other than you coming out here and saying? Matt, I'm sorry you don't like the format, uh, but we it's have declassified. It's not the format; it's the content. I'm it, sorry you don't like the content. I'm sorry you. I'm sorry like you are doubting this. the information that is in the possession of the U.S. government. No, I, I, what I'm telling you is that this is information that's available to us. We are making it available to you uh, in order uh, for a couple reasons. One is to attempt to deter the Russians from going ahead with this activity. Two, in the event we're not able to do that, in the event the Russians do go ahead with this, to make it clear as day, to lay bare the fact that this has always been an attempt on the part of the Russian Federation to fabricate a pretext. Yeah, but you don't have any any evidence to back it up other than what you're saying. It's like you're saying, we think we, we, we have information the Russians may do this. 
but you won't tell us what the information well, is. That, and then when, when, that, when you're that, asked... That, that is the idea behind when, deterrence, Matt. When, that is the idea behind asked, deterrence. And when it is asked, our hope that the Russians don't go forward with this. When you're asked what the information is, you say, I just gave it to you. But that, that's not what... You, you seem not to not understand the, you seem not to no, understand no, no, the idea of deterrence. We are trying to deter the Russians from moving forward with this type of activity. That is why we're making it public today. If the Russians don't go forward with this, that is not... Uh, ipso facto, an indication that they never had plans to do so. Uh, but then it's unprovable. <laughs> I mean, my God, what is the evidence that you have that suggests that, that, that the Russians are even planning this? Matt, you, I mean, I'm not you, saying that they're not, but you just come out and say this and expect us just to, to, to believe it without you showing a shred of evidence that it's actually true. Other than when I ask, or when anyone else asked, what's the information? You said, well, I just gave it to you, which was just you making a statement. Matt, you said yourself, you've been in this business for quite a long time. You know that when we make information, uh, intelligence information public, we do so uh, in, a, in a way that protects sensitive sources and methods. You also know that we do so, we declassify information only when we're confident in that information. You if you doubt, if you doubt the, the credibility of the U.S. government, of the British government, uh, of other governments, and want to uh, you know, find uh, solace and in information that uh, the solace? Russians are putting out. Uh, that is uh, <laughs> that is for to, you to do. I'm not asking what, what the Russian government is putting out. And, and what, John, do you, what is it supposed to be? Officials are describing uh, very specific scenes, but do they actually have a video? The the fact that we are able to go into such great detail. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to spell out what is in our possession, but I will leave. Uh, I will leave it to you. Uh, I will leave that to your uh, to your judgment. There, your there are no facts. Trust us. <laughs> evidence this was intended to come out in the coming days. We've we've said Ben for some time now that the Russians uh, have positioned forces. Uh, they have undertaken preparations. That if Putin decides to move forward with an invasion, uh, they're positioned to do so. You they are poised to do so in the coming days. One just one one last thing. Like, I, I, I'm not buying into Russian propaganda, but I'm also not going to buy into an, I'm accusa- not an to- accusation. Yes, you are. You're saying the proof is that I just said it. So let me just appeal to you on behalf of all of us in the American people and the people of the world and the Russian people and the Ukrainian people. One piece of evidence to suggest that the Russians are planning to use crisis actors to stage a false mass casualty event to use as a pretext. Just one piece, okay? And not you or Kirby or Jen or John Finer or Jake saying this is what is so. And then you turning around and saying, well, because we said it, it's a fact. So let me one let, piece of let me one make, piece of verifiable evidence. Let, let me make let me make a, a couple broad points. And I I, I acknowledge this will probably unset, be unsatisfactory to you in the moment. Uh, but uh, here's what I think you know, uh, what I certainly know, uh, what everyone here knows. There are 100,000 Russian troops encircling Ukraine right now, uh, approaching Ukraine's borders, close to the borders. There are thousands of Russian troops uh, with the potential for some 30,000 Russian troops to stream in to Belarus. Uh, all of these forces are positioned, could well be positioned if Putin makes that decision, uh, to uh, engage on Ukraine in a coordinated assault. Uh, we also know uh, that the Russians have resorted to these tactics in the past, uh, have uh, developed a remarkably similar playbook 
in 2014, amassed troops, uh, engaged in 2014, it is a historical fact, uh, engaged in disinformation and propaganda to paint Ukraine as the aggressor, uh, fabricated a pretext for an invasion, and went in. So with what we know from eight years ago, with what we have seen, you and I both have seen, everyone has seen, with what we have heard eight years ago, in the ensuing eight years, uh, and in recent weeks, um, it seems to me that uh, it should not be outlandish uh, that the Russians may be uh, engaging well, in this okay, activity fine, But not again. being outlandish doesn't mean that you have any proof that it's, that it's happening. The second point. Or being planned. The second planned. point. The Hold second on, point. Ned, you can't just... All of that may very well be true, probably is true, okay? But it doesn't provide any evidence of what you're alleging now, which is that they're planning this mass fake mass casualty event with quote-unquote crisis actors, which is something that, you know, in the U.S., we rarely hear outside of the kind of, you know, nutty conspiracy theory um, uh, crowd. Well, to be to be clear, we're not alleging what the United States is doing. Uh, this is information available to us. No, no, what the Russians are up to. I understand your point, but I just you, want to. You do because I mean uh, you're treading into serious waters here, and 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 if you can't provide any evidence other than well, I said so, and so it's a fact, that's a problem. Matt, there's a second point. Uh, this is derived from intelligence. Intelligence in which uh, we well, have confidence, we, in which we have confidence. The otherwise, same confidence you had in, in, otherwise, in WMD uh, otherwise, otherwise, I mean, what, what? otherwise, we would not be making it public in the way we are. Uh, but here's, here's the other point. Um, intelligence and evidence, uh, these are two separate things. Uh, it is uh, no... You're, but you're saying it's a fact. And then you have proof, and then you can't offer any proof and to, to, to show this fact. I'll drop it. The, I think we should. Okay, so there's, I mean, that's almost 10 minutes worth of exchange there, but did he ever answer the question? Did he ever provide anything that even, even approaches evidence? I mean, I, I was paying close attention. I couldn't see anything like it. All I saw was a bunch of obfuscation and, <laughs> again, that circular reasoning that, that says, but I said it. I've already given you the evidence. I, I've said it. And to, to illustrate the absurdity of the claims of the Biden administration, here is a, here's a quick little snippet from Caitlin Johnstone. Now, look, Caitlin Johnstone leads pretty hard to the left. But I got to tell you, I admire this lady because she is a truth seeker. And she recognizes you know, crud when it's when it's being presented to us. So she says, I'm declassifying evidence that Nigeria is planning a false flag operation in Switzerland. Are you ready? Here it is. Nigeria is planning a false flag operation in Switzerland. Now she says, the evidence is me asserting it. And if you doubt this, if you doubt this evidence, you're a propagandist for Nigeria. I mean, this this was such a fascinating exchange to hear. I would recommend, you know, that uh, you, you mark that down, put this date on your calendars. Uh, this is one of the few times where a press, a member of the press, actually stood up and acted like an investigative journalist rather than a, a lapdog. And as Daniel McAdams points out, as, as far as the bipartisan support for bovine excrement continues to pollute the barnyard, at least we can thank Matt Lee from the otherwise odious AP for refusing to thrust his chip into the Biden dip. And I'm sorry, I knew, you know, the bovine excrement, that, that may seem kind of crass to some, but you know what? 
I've spent a lot of lot of time and effort doing my best to calibrate my BS detector. And I hope you've done the same. And I wouldn't expect you to take, you know, anything that I say at face value. No matter how pleasant I sound, no matter how no matter how bright my smile. But especially when you're dealing with people who are looking to assert power, whether it's over you or whether they're trying to assert power over, you know, the Russian president or just some geopolitical flex. The Biden administration just got called out hard on asserting things as as evidence that are just, well, but we said so. And we have to protect our our sources and methods. Look, if they can't do what they do in the light, if it's something that cannot withstand the, the light of day, maybe it's something they ought not be doing. That's kind of a, that's kind of a, good place i guess to to end that discussion but ah, who do you trust why should you trust them i do not trust my government to tell me the truth and you know if that if that makes it sound well you're just a russian sympathizer you know as near as i can tell russia is not the one that's destroying my country and i'm making this distinction here and i'm sorry this is going to sound kind of radical but i got to get this off my chest i love my country And I'm doing my level best through my own little effort, you know, through what I can do. I'm doing everything I can to try to save my country from my own government. So whatever faults Russia has, and believe me, there there are plenty of them, they still pale in comparison to what my own government is doing, not just to me, but to all of my fellow countrymen on a daily basis. And the fact that I can look at an exchange like this and very clearly see with my own eyes and hear with my own ears, my government is, is absolutely prepared to lie through its teeth to try to get me to believe something and believe that, uh, you know, they're acting in my best interest. I don't buy it. You know, and it was hard to hear because, uh, you know, um, Ned kept talking over the top of, of uh, Matt Lee. But, uh, you know, he would say, well, we know these things. We know these things. We, we have confidence in these things. And it's like, yeah, well, you had confidence in WMD in Iraq. How did that turn out? You had confidence that uh, the, the government in Kabul would, uh, would still continue to cooperate with the U.S. No. You know, when the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan last year, no, that government in Kabul fell immediately. So, you know, let's quit playing the word games. And I guess, you know, this, in, in, a, in a very real sense, this is one of those things where you and I, um, you know, we don't have a lot of say in what goes on in foreign policy. It's done in our name, and sometimes it comes back to bite us, as we saw on September 11th of 2001. But we really don't have a much, much of an opportunity to influence those kinds of decisions. So let me bring this back home, and at least I'll try, I'll try to, to tie this up to... So what can we do, and what, what is our area of responsibility? Well, maybe I'm just spitballing here, but I think our area of responsibility is you and I need to be as absolutely propaganda-proof as we can become. And we, that means, you know, yeah, somebody throws up the thing, well, if you don't believe what I say, you must be a Russian operative. Let them call you whatever they want. But I would, at this point, I would trust more what Vladimir Putin is saying about uh, the, the world scene 
then I would trust my own government just because I can see on a daily basis how my government has lied to me, how it's cooked the numbers on COVID, how it's tried to force everybody into getting vaccines, which some people may want, but many of us don't want. I can't trust them. And if I can't trust them, then I'm going to withdraw my consent from them to to tell me what is in my best interest and what I must do. No, I can't escape their regulatory, you know, uh, apparatus entirely. But if, if I were to tell you that I spend every waking minute of every day doing my best to minimize my governmental footprint, I think there'd be more than a few people in this audience that would understand that. Hopefully you would would understand and realize that doesn't make me a dangerous individual, except to those who think that they have the prerogative to rule me. I just want to be left alone. I want to live my life and and contribute to the world in ways that hopefully improve the world. I don't need to be micromanaged. You don't need to be micromanaged. And unfortunately, we have this learned helplessness that has been taught to many successive generations of Americans who've forgotten who they are and who now lack the moral clarity to know when it is appropriate and when it is inappropriate for government to assert dominance or assert control over various areas of their lives. Like I've said before, I don't have all the answers. I'm not going to pretend that, oh, I've got this all figured out. But I definitely, if I, if I were pressed to list my pronouns right now, I would say they are awake and concerned because I see what's happening. And I'm, I'm very aware of the manipulation that's going on. And again, and in my own small way, I'm trying to do what I can to, to help others find the courage to stand up and say, no, that's not going to fly. One thought that I wanted to share with you, and this is just a, just a quick uh, follow-up on, on why this is, is so important. If you look at the truckers' uh, protest that has been taking place in Canada, one of the things that you'll notice is that uh, the, the true colors of the global elite, and this is political leaders and bureaucrats as well as their media enablers, have become very manipulative. They've become very pathetic especially as it regards this, this trucker protest. Got an article here by Vasco Kohlmeyer that just shows how, how bad it is. He starts with a quote from Jordan B. Peterson. Dr. Peterson says, Every word he says is a lie, a nose as long as the trucker's convoy. Now, <coughs> excuse me, he's talking about Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau in Canada. When thousands of truckers drove toward Ottawa to protest against the vaccine mandates, Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau described them as the small fringe minority holding unacceptable views. But as the movement gained momentum and truckers were joined and cheered on by scores of their compatriots objecting to Canada's regime of of COVID oppression, that's when Trudeau trotted out those old tropes of, well, they're Nazis and they're racist. And then on top of that, he added uh, that uh, this was on top of his earlier characterization that they were misogynists and science deniers, purveyors of misinformation, conspiracy theorists. And by doing this, Trudeau was just following the standard line of the woke elites when dealing with people who do not want to go along with their dehumanizing and exploitative agendas. Rather than meeting any side in rational discussion, they just simply hurl insults that are void of any substance. Racist, Nazi, conspiracy theorist, 
These are the slurs of choice. This is why Trudeau not only fled, but he refused to ever to even listen to what they have to say. I don't have to listen to them. They're a bunch of Nazis. Now, Vasco Kohlmeyer says Trudeau's tirades could not be more laughable or absurd. That the unfolding protests have nothing to do with racism or Nazism or misogyny or science denial. That's obvious to anyone with eyes to see. What the protesters are standing up against is their government's COVID chicanery, which has been among the most repressive in the Western world. I mean, come on, lockdowns, curfews, travel bans, injections and boosters forced via onerous ID passports, police harassment. That's been Canadians' experience in the last 24 months. And when people finally rise against their oppression, leaders like Trudeau resort to calling them names that bear no relation to who these people are or what they're asking for. Now, he says what Canada needs is a true leader, not some weaselly little dictator like Justin Trudeau. One perceptive lady told him the other day, Trudeau seems to to her like someone who should model underwear. And she wasn't trying to be funny. She was speaking in earnest. And he says, I was struck by the aptness of her observation about how it seems to have captured something essential about the man. Trying to picture it, he would be a very good candidate for that kind of role in these COVIDic times. Now, whether Trudeau decides to pursue this line of work after he's done with politics remains to be seen. But while he remains in office, one thing is certain. Like most of his globalist comrades, he's a reality-challenged demagogue who is tone-deaf to the concerns and suffering of the common people. So here's the, here's the bottom line that you and I need to consider. If you find the courage to stand for what you believe is right, whether that's your religious freedom, your freedom of association, your freedom of speech, just your, your freedoms generally, if you decide to stand and you make it clear that I'm going to be free no matter what this bureaucrat or this you know, functionary is telling me what to do, you're going to be called names. You're going to be doubted. You're going to be smeared. And I wish I could tell you, and, you know, it's just names, you know, sticks and stones and all that. But it hurts the first time somebody really comes after you in a public setting and, and casts all kinds of aspersions on you. It is not fun. And for most people, it, it causes them to question, oh, do I really believe what I believe? Because the going just got really tough. What I'm going to ask you to consider is that you do not need the approval of the public. You do not need the approval of a majority of people. You don't even need the approval of everybody within your circle of of influence right now. Now, you do need approval, but the approval that you need is the approval of your conscience. And that may sound like an easy thing. Well, I'll just tell myself then that I'm right. No, your conscience doesn't work that way. Your conscience, assuming that you have one and you haven't relegated it, you know, to banished it to outer darkness or something, your conscience works by telling you the difference between right and wrong. And the way that you know when you are in the right is your conscience is at peace. And when you are not in the right, your conscience is not at peace. What I'm suggesting is peace of conscience is more valuable than the acceptance and approval of the entire world. Now, I don't say this lightly because people who take a stand, you know, sometimes find themselves in very lonely places. Sometimes they find themselves in jail. I think it was Solzhenitsyn who talked about to stand for truth is nothing. For truth, you must sit in jail. And I think think that aptly describes the times that we live in.
So this is my encouragement to you. No matter how scary it may get, no matter the names or the insults or the the questioning of your motives and the questioning of your character that others may throw at you as an effort to dissuade you from being an example of living truth, of freedom, it's more important to follow your conscience and do not compromise. There is pain involved. We can't deny that, but the peace that follows is worth it. I'm Brian Hyde. This is the Disciples of Liberty on the America Out Loud Network.